Welcome to Let's Talk About School. Uh, this is a podcast about the world of education, things that work, things that don't work, and ways we can improve it. I'm Erin. And I'm Ben. And today we are going to talk about the technology use in education. And Ben actually attended the NJ Edge conference, so he's going to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, it was about um, a few weeks ago, I believe like three weeks ago, I went to uh, the NJ Edge conference in uh, Whippany, New Jersey. It's NJ Edge is specifically a uh, internet company. They provide a lot of technology services to a lot of industries around New Jersey. But uh, one of the things they focus on in a lot of ways is education. And so they host this conference every year to uh, bring together uh, people from all over, but there is a specific focus on education and technology um, that is a bit, a, a pretty, it gets a pretty big crowd from a bunch of different schools. Uh, so there were schools like Princeton were there, uh, William Patterson, Rutgers. I saw, I saw schools from all over who were all kind of networking and discussing uh, ways that we can implement technology in education. And I learned uh, quite a few interesting things, actually. Uh, there were some interesting topics discussed around um, just the structure of uh, distance learning classes, which would be specifically online-based classes. Uh, the terminology now, for those who don't know, is uh, you usually will let, hear less of the term online classes. Uh, you'll hear more things like distance learning, which imply some other formats of uh, kinds of networking and discussing through the class um, that, it, that aren't just necessarily limited to an internet medium. Um, but there's, there were things about that. There were uh, discussions about different technologies and services people can use to implement technologies even better. And of course, there were uh, a lot of salesmen trying to sell products that yeah. were um, all about uh, embracing different technologies and um, things like that. Um, so I guess before I go any further, I'm going to lay down some more terminology because I realized that there's a lot of things that are niche in my industry because I work specifically as an instructional technologist for a college and uh, in the instructional design and technology sector of education there are quite a lot of terminology things that aren't commonly used throughout the rest of education. So uh, first would be yeah, distance learning. There's also hybrid learning which would uh, be a type of learning that is using an online medium or uh, some form of distance medium as well as an in-person class. Uh, so a hybrid course you might have in one lecture a week but you will also have quite a bit of work online to do which is actually probably what most would consider the more common college course now because everybody has their books online things like that. Uh, traditional standard class, uh, classroom setting, in-person classroom setting, stuff like that. Um, also uh, most uh, hybrid and uh, distance learning courses will operate using a LMS or learning management system. These are things like uh, that most college professors use or college students are familiar with. Uh, things like Blackboard, uh, companies like Canvas, uh, D2L, um, Moodle, if you are uh, using that in your uh, courses. They're basically the uh, framework uh, hosting site and uh, content provider and medium for any material that you are using to teach your course. So, uh, I mean, if you've been to college in the last, like, uh, 
I would say like 20 years, 30 years, you'd probably have used one of them. So uh, it's it's they're fairly common use now, and they're it's basically what I would describe as like the medium of Facebook, but for education. Like what what Facebook gives you in social interaction, uh, Blackboard, Canvas, other LMSs would give you in terms of like organization of course material and uh, things like that. So that's a big terminology thing. And uh, yeah, the, the rest will come as, as we get through it. But um, for now, uh, a lot of the uh, discussions I had with people during the conference were uh, with people who were trying to sell uh, people on D2L, uh, which is a uh, LMS that is competing with uh, Canvas and Blackboard uh, for the top dog position of most valued uh, LMS. Uh, and so I remember I, I was discussing this with like uh, two of the salesmen quite a bit that they were uh, trying to figure out like exactly how to, what people were looking for in their LMS, like what people wanted and uh, how to improve on the model and stuff because Berkeley College just, is, uh, just announced that they're switching over to Canvas. So uh, from Blackboard, and so we are making this uh, transition. And I personally, while we were making this transition, I kept thinking, like, why are we doing this transition? Like, what does this give us that is different from uh, the uh, for the thing we currently use, which is Blackboard? And I realized that a lot of it comes down to um, support. Uh, and so I guess like the main thing we're going to talk about today on this episode is uh, how technology uh, in education can um, be really useful and uh, really uh, revolutionary in a lot of ways, but um, it can also be kind of not beneficial in a lot of ways if it's not known how to use correctly or not uh, like implemented with a, a right strategy in mind or anything like that. And so I think when we're talking about like how Blackboard used to be really popular amongst uh, colleges for using their, for organizing their courses under, it was because initially they provided quite a bit of support to uh, faculty and staff for uh, any issues that may come up. Um, but as they grew in power and size, they ended up, uh, forgetting a little bit more about the support side of things and that's what drew people away from it and led to people being turned off from Blackboard because they the faculty members weren't exactly comfortable using the software it would ended up if there was any ever any issue they didn't have a uh, like means of getting help from them as much uh, and this isn't I don't mean to talk smack on Blackboard at all I'm sure there's a lot of people who really love the the their LMS Blackboard because I think uh, it, it depends on what you're looking for and what your faculty's comfort level with the systems are but uh, I know personally from the different groups of people that I've spoken with this is like a common thing that they've noticed is that a lot of people are migrating away from Blackboard because of this lack of support that they feel. That's interesting because I remember when I was in college we had a new one like every year. Mm, did you? <laughs> yeah and when I was a freshman I think we had Blackboard and that was new to me because we didn't have that in high school. Yeah. So I got used to it because it was a whole new thing. And then I forget what we had next, but I was like, why are we changing it? I just got used to Blackboard and now yeah. we have a new thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's and that's another big thing about it is that like what we 
are constantly learning and relearning is that uh, all these technologies are promised to like change things up and stuff. And we've seen technology changing a lot of different industries like the uh, taxi cab industry and the um, uh, food delivery industry, things like that. Um, but in education, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of uh, you know, emotions tied to things and a lot of stakes. There's a lot yeah. more stakes to it. So And competence, and like competence, feeling competent yeah. and using the technology and then all of a sudden Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like when you when you're finding that like this thing that's that we all see is very important, our education is kind of locked behind knowledge of a website or knowledge of navigation of a website or a piece of software it can be really frustrating and it can lead to a lot of people to not want to change in a lot of ways. Yeah, and also remembering to always have a plan B with technology because mm. I know in the schools that I've worked at and also as a student you see like teachers using technology and then something unexpected happened where it just freezes yeah, and it doesn't absolutely. work. And so they're like, okay, I guess get out of a piece of paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, just today at work I was uh, trying to uh, set up a Skype conference to record a like their their video but um we were trying to get and get in contact over skype and that wasn't working Mm -hmm. he like wasn't able to log in or get his microphone set up correctly then we tried google hangouts and tried to do that and like eventually we just gave up it didn't work because it took so long to like get everything set up and so when those kinds of problems are happening and are persistent it's it's very hard to like have that be a revolutionary force in uh, something so personal as a co- as a classroom, right. those kinds of glitches can be fine in in different aspects of private industry. It's like fine if your Uber app doesn't work one day because you you have other options. But when it's your education on the line, it's it can be a lot more hard to uh, implement correctly. And uh, not to mention when things are changing so fast, you don't know whether things are a fad or if they are going to actually be sticking around for a really long time. And so now might be actually a good time to play this uh, clip I was going to play. It's from a um, a science channel on YouTube that uh, a lot of people might be familiar with called Veritasium. It's actually from his second channel. Um, but he uh, talks a little bit about, in this video, about uh, spherical video. It's from... Uh, 2016 when that was becoming a pretty big uh, thing on YouTube and Facebook where they would there'd be 360 videos hosted on uh, just a variety of topics. People would make documentaries in 360 using 360 degree cameras so you could look around in all different directions. And so he talks a little bit about that and why um, that's not so good in different aspects. But then he talks about it, why it's not very good in education because of things like this that are similar trends that he's seen before in his life uh, working in, in higher education and why uh, this seems like it'll probably just be another fad. So I'm going to play that clip right now. My final point, point number seven, is that I think a lot of the hype around 360 video is based on this new technology that we can now do this at a reasonable price point and we've never been able to do it before. And so obviously people are excited and I think that leads people to overstate what this potentially could do. But I've seen this pattern before, like in 1922, when Edison said that uh, the motion picture would replace textbooks. Or in 94, when uh, Semaron Boyer said that 
that video discs would revolutionize education, or in 2013 when uh, The Atlantic said that massive open online courses would revolutionize education. There is this real pattern of having new tech, like uh, 3D television sets, and thinking that that changes everything. And really it doesn't, because fundamentally it misses the point of how our brains work. Our brains work in a nice linear way where we can we can tell stories in really finely crafted detail and showing you only the things that you need to see to get the point and without you missing something just because you were looking at the wrong point in the screen at the time. So uh, if uh, it was hard to hear at all, he basically uh, talks about how uh, in the past uh, there have been pretty much every time a new technology has come out he uh, noted that somebody was writing about it being a revolutionary force but most revolutionary forces that people claim are revolutionary anyway uh, end up kind of falling flat because they don't end up being instrumental to how we use technology and like how we feel about certain uh, things and how we how we like use things to learn essentially so what did you think about that I really liked the point that he made about the 360 videos not aligning well with how our brains work mm. because that's not something that I would have thought of but it's something really cool to think about because our brains do work in sort of a linear way as mm. he was saying like things need to feel intuitive they have to make sense and I actually have never seen a 360 video so I might be wrong in saying this but I imagine kind of like if you can move things around you know with your hand on the screen mm. I I can imagine getting so distracted and then being like, wait, where was my starting point? I don't even know what this is anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and he does discuss that a little bit in, in uh, earlier in the video. Uh, he, he talks about how um, the specific technology of 360 video is, uh, and, and I guess also VR in, in this aspect too, since that's a very similar um similar tool uh although with a little bit more control added to it and things like that um but the the whole concept behind it is kind of counterintuitive because uh the concept of teaching is is about the focusing in of practices and like making sure that uh people are able to pay attention to uh specific things like guiding that attention to towards a, a certain end because if you're not doing that and you're just kind of like letting people explore how they want, they will probably not explore it well or thoroughly at all because they're, they're going to be missing out on a lot of the like deeper meaning behind things. Because, I mean, that's all we really have been doing in school is like we're just trying to like focus in on certain things. And I think that's another attitude with the um, with technology today is that it's it's about creating more freedom for people to do things their own way and that ends up leading to um other issues because um people will when they're given more freedom they not they won't necessarily have the uh sense of autonomy and uh and leadership to necessarily know fully on what they're doing they might they, they kind of need someone to guide them in a certain direction anyway and right. So there, there's actually um, uh, there's another uh, video I, I just remembered uh, watching on uh, Vox today that uh, came out um, today is uh, June or 
Uh, January 29th, not June. Uh, I wish it was June. Um, it came out uh, today on January 29th, all, all about um, online um, charter schools, online charter mm. schools, and how uh, using uh, from time use surveys of uh, students in in those um, using those charter schools, they found that like most people wouldn't necessarily spend as much time as they should on each class or piece of work and things like that because they're on their computer and they're one tab away from going to Facebook and can just like explore whatever they want. So when there's not like that structure and that consistent like feedback and um, like kind of not even necessarily control, just like guidance to like point people in the right direction... Uh, it, 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 people tr- like without a doubt will always go to the distractions, the easiest things that they can do. Yeah. Because when you don't fully know how to do something, when you're learning, then you need that guidance because otherwise you'll reach a point where you kind of get stuck and that's where you go to the Facebook tab because mm-hmm, you're kind of mm-hmm. like, well, I don't really know where to go from here. Exactly. But actually I had a question, mm-hmm. um, for you. So I thought about this as you were talking with, the 360 videos, I actually wonder how helpful that would be for people who, maybe kids who have ADHD, but also maybe kids who don't necessarily have ADHD, Mm -hmm. but I've worked with some students who are very smart and they get distracted in class because their brains are going in so many different directions. Like they are listening to the teacher, but they also have so many questions that they cannot hold inside of themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I actually wonder if that video would be good for them because then they'd be able to kind Mm -hmm. of like search around and then circle back to where they know that they started because maybe their brains actually work that way i'm not sure though because i don't know a whole lot about adhd but i just wonder yeah i think um and this is this is kind of the uh the other important thing is that when we're implementing these new technologies into our our education systems we want to make sure they're designed properly in a way so i can foresee that there is a way to um make a 360 video or VR experience that does guide you in certain ways to pay attention to things. Like I just got a uh, Oculus Rift for uh, Christmas. So I've been playing around with that a little bit. And um, you'll notice it like for certain, there's certain like VR videos that are out now that are kind of interactive, things like that. And you'll notice that they tend to design their games or experiences in ways that sort of guide your vision in certain ways so like uh actually even in this video because you can see that uh i can drag this around a little bit actually which is kind of neat yeah but he in one point he puts a video up on the other side of this uh, 360 space so he like references something in the opposite end of where you're normally looking if you're trying to look at his face as he's walking through this little marketplace um and what he does, he just makes like a little gesture over there and you instantly know, okay, if I just click and drag over right. to this side of the screen, I'll be able to see whatever video he put up there to reference. Right. And so it's those kinds of things, like even as simple as that, a gesture towards whatever you want to guide people towards in the 3D space, it can be really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's like one way that it is uh, a very useful tool, but like you really do need to make sure that it is designed 
like practically and uh, intuitively so that no matter who is picking it up, they'll be able to understand that and not like get confused or disoriented and things like that. Um, so right now, VR and 360 video is most commonly used in um, the uh, medical professions. And that's because it is like a you know practical skill. So it's it's useful for someone to sort of get put in the shoes of somebody who is like operating on someone, or even just like uh, you know taking someone's blood pressure or something like that. Because it you know kind of lets you uh, step into that person's shoes and learn that that kind of skill, like all the aspects of skills that you need to learn when you are in medicine. Which I mean, there are. A plethora of them because you need to know how to be like personal but also uh you need to know how to like do different mechanical tasks and you need to know how to like be empathetic but also uh mechanical in that way so like it is a really it's a bevy of things you need to like be paying attention to at a time and so it really does benefit a lot of people to be in vr while they're doing that while they're in training to be a uh, medical practitioner because it it kind of just puts you right in, the, in those shoes. Um, but I think now is the uh, time when people are really trying to figure out how they want to implement it or if they want to implement it in other ways. Because I think uh, in general, it's it can be, uh, there's a lot of times where a technology is used and it's like, it feels like the easy thing to do is just to implement it in this way. But then someone might come around and get really creative with the medium and try and implement it in a new way that nobody ever thought of before and it actually really works. But you really do need to have that kind of design to, that design mindset anyway, to know what you're doing and know how to design it right so that it actually like is useful. <laughs> Right. Actually, maybe what we can talk about next is what you and I discussed privately about how this evolution of technology sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, mm. sometimes is not aligned with the evolution of education. Like mm -hmm. we tend to think that this new technology is going to fix education, but education hasn't reached that same level that the technology is at so it seems like people think it will be this easy fix of like oh education is now reformed when that's not the case yeah yeah exactly that's it's very true yeah we were discussing how it's it's a very common thing for people to kind of attach this uh, idea of a quick fix to uh, education and, and any technologies that come out and things like that. So um, he even, uh, Veritasium references it. I don't actually know the guy's real name, but yeah. um, he uh, references it in, um, in this video where he talks about massively open online courses being uh, a new thing that will revolutionize education and kind of democratize it for free for everybody. Uh, and for a few years, that was something that was kind of nice because you could like go on to uh, Coursera or edX and uh, watch courses and um, get information that way. But as it turns out, only a few people have really found success with that model. And it's um, not as common as they made it seem at all. Um, one of the speakers at uh, NJ Edge actually was somebody who developed a massively 
open online course. It is, it's traditionally called a MOOC, but I think that's a really silly name. So <laughs> I prefer saying Masley Open Online Course, but even though it's a lot longer to say. But um, he, uh, who, his name is John Boyer, and he teaches at uh, Virginia Tech. And um, his, he was basically, um, he went from teaching like a few people, uh, like 30 person classrooms to like much bigger lecture halls with like 200, uh, 300 people. Then eventually he even rented out the Virginia Tech Auditorium because his class was so popular and taught to like 3,000 people, which is crazy. And then uh, he went to online to teach his class and found that he was getting a lot of, a lot of students. And like, it was just like, going really well and so what he was doing though was that like you what you notice immediately when you hear him present is that he has a natural charisma to uh carry over into online uh space and online videos and things like that and he's able to kind of command the room with his with his voice even if the room is just like a room with a camera in it and he's online um, and you can see it in the same way with like YouTube personalities, even like the more educational focused, um, YouTube personalities are charismatic, they're funny, they're, uh, charming in a lot of ways. And so it's, um, a lot more common to see those people successful rather than like somebody who maybe has even more knowledge, but isn't, uh, as charismatic in that way. Right. So there is like yeah it's 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 like something that we we find that again because it's not like a a one size fits all situation that like everybody can use this one technology and it saves education it brings us up to first place in in uh math and reading scores again and uh makes america great again (laughs) because uh i mean we're never gonna find that that one fix in technology we need to find that in i mean it's always going to be more complicated than that it's always going to be like we need to improve teacher relations with students we need to uh, change how we just structure courses we need to change lots of things there's never going to be one thing that we can fix that will change everything entirely right and i think that that actually speaks a lot to how education is set up right now in general because we do kind of have this one size fits all mold Mm -hmm. for students so I guess that same mindset trickles over into oh here's one piece of technology that we're all just going to like force everybody into using (laughs) exactly exactly yeah it's um it's really uh I guess it's just I don't want to say it's lazy because it is so lazy but yeah it is It's, (laughs) it's lazy isn't it I mean it's just like we it's just wishful thinking I think is a lot of it though is that people really really I mean, we know we have a problem, but we don't necessarily know how to fix it and don't, and a lot of people don't really want to put in the effort to find that fix. So we just see a technology and are like, ah, let's try that. That, yeah. could, that could work. And people are so scared of messes, except yeah. then it becomes a big mess because when something doesn't work the way you thought it would be, then it's yeah. like, oh, let's throw that out the window. And exactly. now we're going to bring in this new thing and create a different kind of mess. Exactly. It's like trying to build a new wheel on your car as your car is like veering down the highway right? <laughs> because you your current tire is popped or something like that so you're just like yeah. well I'll just build a new tire instead of stopping your car and changing the tire yeah. just to take yeah. some time even to make some mistakes and figure it out before yeah. you're ready to go absolutely yeah. yeah I mean I think that's uh 
that's definitely the great irony of education, I feel like, as we're so, like, willing to experiment in a lot of ways, especially, like, in higher ed with just, like, I mean, just experimentation and testing theories and things like that. But when it comes to educational structure and design, we're so unwilling to just take the time to, like, pause and test things and see how they work and mm-hmm. just, like implement things effectively it's it's really uh kind of a bummer to see that and i mean this isn't even just like us talking about that i know even um uh salman khan who created the like very very famous piece of technology that at one point and that probably still a lot of people think is going to revolutionize education the khan academy um he developed that and even he talks about how any piece of technology that we try to implement is still going to um, not change the fact that we're using a model that isn't that never was proven to be the best model for education. I mean, we know that the lecture format of someone standing in front of the class kind of works for some people, but it's it, we don't know any other. We haven't tried it any other way, to be honest, because right. even. Khan Academy videos are that it's just him talking in front of the in front of the um, screen and and writing on on a on a scribing pad as he uh, discusses things and so like even the flipped classroom model that people mm-hmm. thought was going to change education forever uh, even that I mean I haven't seen any fruits of that <laughs> at all either right actually I had this question in my head as you were talking, but now it actually applies to even more of what I experienced when I was getting my master's degree. I Mm. did some work on flipping the classroom, Mm. and I noticed that I was really excited about the idea. I thought, wow, this is a great idea. I mean, Mm. you know, not a problem solver, but like in certain situations, I felt like it could really work. And then talking to some students who had a teacher who did it, they didn't really like it. And something that I realized, which goes into the question that I was going to ask, is that it seems like people were taking the flipping the classroom idea and just trying to use it the same way that they always taught. And so then, of course, it's not going to go well because that's not really what it was for. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so, yeah. And I wonder if instead of bringing in technology and trying to put it into this you know, traditional education that we have right now, if we take technology and adjust education to fit the technology that we're using, Mm -hmm. if that would make a bigger difference in terms of introducing technology. That's interesting. I was almost thinking the exact opposite thing in a way. I was thinking like, how, like, what do we, like, we almost need to like think about it in a way of like, what technologies are out there right now? Like, what do we have available to us? And like, but first think about like what do we need out of education like what do we like what do we find is our main problem and like what services do we have that we can actually maybe use that fix that oh yeah Yeah. i agree with that i was thinking more like in the little scenarios Mm -hmm. as in like say a teacher was like i like flipping the classroom let me bring this in instead of thinking let me you like use flipping the classroom to fit my traditional classroom Mm -hmm. let me change my traditional classroom to flipping the classroom oh certainly yeah i mean that that is the thing is that like anytime they anytime you want to implement a new technology you you can't just 
keep the same thing. You can't just change that. You do have right. to change a lot more than that. Yeah, but I don't think that people yeah. always do. It's true. I Yeah, I mean, I've seen quite a few. Um, the MOOCs and, and Flipping the Classroom both rely heavily on video. And uh, the video, the most common thing that I'll see when I'm watching uh, either of those videos are just like, very like low quality images of like webcam footage of somebody just like standing sitting at their desk just kind of like talking about their topic just kind of reading through a powerpoint maybe have maybe they have the powerpoint on their screen maybe they don't Mm -hmm. maybe you just like have to like look at that along and they're just like talking very boringly and just kind of like dry and stuff when you but when you see like effective uh uses a video it's engaging it's fun it's it's really interesting Mm -hmm. and it catches your eye and in a lot of different ways because one of the advantages of video is that you can have text that's like right up in your face as opposed to like up on the blackboard that you have to read through someone's handwriting to properly ingest so it really is like something that like yeah you need to go like all in and learn how to do it right and learn how to do it effectively. Otherwise, it's just going to make things worse, I think. Right. Like, you need to be excited and passionate about it and get creative with it instead of just kind of throwing some things in there. Yeah, that's probably why people didn't like it so much. I mean, things like flipping the classroom and other types of technology are not a one-size-fits-all thing. You know, Mm. there are some subjects that wouldn't do as well with it. But then there are some subjects like I think math and flipping the classroom are kind of a perfect match. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think flipping the classroom definitely benefits from or STEM classes definitely benefit from flipping the classroom right. that model. And yeah, but I, I that, and that's the other thing I guess is that we need to figure out if if these things are something that we should be implementing on a uh, in like administrative wide. Thing at like range or scale I guess or if it should just be like classroom to classroom like have someone at schools who like works with technology and understands technology and have if professors or teachers want to uh, implement something new into their courses they can talk to this person and be like hey I want to try this maybe this seems like it would be good for me uh, then they can they can bring that in but I think um a lot of uh, a lot of times, it's just like the idea comes to like a principal. They hear like, ah, flipping the classroom. That seems like fun. Everybody will do this, <laughs> yes. and like I, I think maybe yeah, maybe that doesn't work for some people. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of classes where the lecturer in the lecture hall or just the teacher and a chalkboard is like all people need to get a really interesting and engaging class experience out of out of it. So I think. It's almost like instead of seeing these things as uh, one quick fix, we should see them as like a billion different quick fixes that like certain classrooms that would benefit from it should try that. Uh, Others should try flipping the classroom. Others should try uh, just different videos, things or VR or stuff like that. You know, uh, whatever, whatever works for the specific case. Yes, absolutely. And this is probably a topic for another episode but you know going along with that i think it's important that teachers have more autonomy Mm -hmm. because they are under so much pressure 
from, you know, administration, parents and all of that. So I think that's another reason why, as you were saying, sometimes the idea just comes to a principal and they're like, everyone do it. (laughs) But every teacher has a different style, a Mm -hmm. different personality, different students, different subjects. So, yeah, yeah, that's not really fair. And I think it takes away from the authentic learning that could be going on if they had more autonomy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, especially in those situations when a technology is forced upon a teacher, they're not going to know or care how to implement right. it right. They'll feel overwhelmed. Exactly. Yeah. They'll they'll just be like, I have to do what now? And just complain and be upset about it. And that's obviously not good for anybody in the situation. Right. We want teachers to like want to do these things. But the only way you can do that is if you just allow them to want it. Like just have them just inspire them to be curious like much like how you as a teacher you aren't supposed to just like let children run free and and learn however they want because you know they like we were just saying earlier they might not necessarily learn in the right way or uh will get confused or disoriented or or lose interest um but uh so too i feel like do uh, administrators with teachers i think a lot of teachers might feel uncomfortable with certain technologies and so to force them to do it and like work with it is is never going to be as effective as as you want it to be yeah so yeah and that's where education needs to be reformed in all directions because you know we have students being forced into doing things a particular way that's not good for them and then we have teachers being forced Mm -hmm. into doing things a particular way that's not good for them we also have administration being forced through politics so you know yeah yeah exactly it's all there (laughs) yeah it's all it's all just kind of a lot of channeling that uh never really seems to lead to anything that great except for i mean it's just working for like a certain personality type i suppose right yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, today at work, I was talking to one of my coworkers, and he was telling me about how the school that he used to go to when he was younger, that second graders now are being given tablets, like to mm. take home, not oh, just cool. in school, but it's like a personal tablet that they have to give back at the end of the year yeah isn't that crazy wow yeah i mean it's cool but i'm like i think don't you know that they're gonna break it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i have to imagine they have some sort of protection on there they definitely do but i'm like you you know that they're gonna break it (laughs) yeah really and like i mean what yeah what are they necessarily gonna get out of that like right I i guess like i remember um i think it was like the when I was a senior, the freshmen that were coming into uh, my high school were going to get like year-round use laptops, and it was a very similar situation to that, where they would just get a laptop to work on. And um, in a lot of ways, that is a good idea because I think um, it does sort of level the playing field. Where if you want to implement technology, it does make it more equitable. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, let's, that's another thing that we didn't even discuss is that like a lot of technology is a little bit discriminatory in a lot of ways because uh, it, I mean, if you want to implement something like VR into your classroom, you either need to pay for everybody to have like a VR thing or like Google Cardboard, or you are potentially alienating uh, students who can't afford that kind of stuff. Um, so that's like kind of 
uh, a discriminatory practice <laughs> in um, in the implementation of technology. But uh, yeah, it also I feel like in that in that case where you're giving them like a laptop that they can just bring home and use however they want, I feel like you're also running the risk of just them having a distraction device essentially That's true. Yeah. from doing anything unless you are like heavily blocking all websites that you can access on that uh, on that device. But even then, I feel like that is. Again, the aspect of uh, just funneling students into like one path and that kind of limits freedom in a lot of ways. So Yeah, actually, I'm curious to know what you think about this because I was thinking that even though I could definitely see the benefits of having a tablet or a laptop, you know, any like piece of technology to be using, I also was thinking that personally, everybody's brain works differently. But mm. for me, whenever I write things out, I remember it. I understand it much better when I'm really spelling things out for myself. So what do you think about that? Like when kids are going home and they're typing things instead of really writing everything out, do you think that that could be useful for some kids? Like do some kids have the kind of brain where typing it really helps them? Or Yeah, I wonder um, because I'm definitely in that way, in that camp too. I think maybe it was just how we were raised. I, That's true. Yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to a, uh, a second grader with a, with a tablet about that. But um, yeah, I personally as well, like always found that I would remember things much, much better if I were to write it down on a piece of paper and save it, especially over typing it. Um, but yeah, like... I think just that tactile effort of doing that changes things. But yeah, it, it could be the case that that also is uh, the thing with uh, with kids now too. I, I'm actually very curious about that. I would love to see some research done on uh, on that topic of how kids ingest data and how they can uh, how their memory works differently from from ours who are pre-internet. <laughs> Yeah, and also, as you were talking, I was just thinking about everything else that goes along with that, like their spell check. Yeah. And will handwriting get worse yeah, <laughs> as yeah, they get exactly. older? Are they going to not know how to spell things when they grow up? Yeah, that that is the, uh, the always the wonder. And I remember even, uh, I guess that's the other side of the coin on this, is that hesitation towards uh, using technology, because I remember uh, my... Uh, classes in high school we at least uh in uh elementary school we could never use a calculator uh, on exams or anything like that and now i think it's just i think it's just fine i think you can just use a calculator whenever you want oh yeah uh yeah i mean it was definitely that in, in high school and yeah you're going into more complicated material and things like that but i think it was also just because the calculator has become more ubiquitous and you can just get one for like five bucks and it will like perform all those functions for you and it, i i think it i think it might just be the case that like most people are just able to use calculators uh i'd love to hear perspectives from high school teachers or um even elementary school teachers about that as well so feel free to uh let us know if uh that's something that you've noticed being used more if like people are more fine with calculators uh being used in classrooms or if they are something that it's still preferred not to use because especially on tests I know like it was it was for a while I was encouraged to use it then they were just like well whatever we don't really care and I know like phones are fine now because like 
when I was in high school, I couldn't, I couldn't bring out my phone at oh, all. No, or else it would get, uh, get taken away. Yeah. <laughs> but now I think most classrooms are fine with that, too, from what I've heard. Oh, really? So, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, it depends on the class. But I think uh, some people are a little bit more okay with just the phone being out because they know it's going to happen anyway. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. Actually, from teaching or helping kids with math from the work that I've been doing, I realized even though I had to write everything out as a kid... Um, still, I, once I reached, you know, college and I wasn't doing much math anymore and relied on a calculator, I don't remember anything. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I don't either. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, tell you how to do long division at all. To no, be me either. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually kind of sad <laughs> because I, yeah, I mean, it, and that's, that's kind of the, uh, way technology works in a lot of ways. And this is more of like a general thing I suppose that we were finding out is that as technology becomes more and more complex and is able to do more and more of the uh the more like smaller time functions that we normally would that we used to do like doing multiplication and long division things like that or uh writing uh papers or like by hand and organizing them in uh on paper uh, the less, like, I think the less skills we develop there, but is it a trade-off that we're developing more skills in, uh, the more higher cognitive functions is what I wonder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are we like saving that space for more, uh, philosophy and, uh, Mm -hmm. deeper science and, and things like that? Because if that's the case, then I, I guess that would be a fine trade-off, but if it's not, I'm, I feel like that might be a little unfortunate. Yeah, I think it probably depends on your level of understanding mm-hmm. for math, meaning that if you do fundamentally know how it works and why it works like that, then I do think that what you're saying makes sense. It's kind of like, uh, let the calculator do all of the busy work and yeah. then grow from there. But for somebody like me who... You know, I didn't necessarily hate math, but it was not my forte. Mm -hmm. I would have and still can definitely benefit from really understanding why things are the way that they are and how it really works. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah, you need to, like, get more time to develop the language of math before you uh, can move on to the calculator. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is that was kind of like the idea of what they wanted to do in my high in my school experience anyway at K12 is that like ideally by middle school and high school you would have already learned that language and so you can just let the calculator do the the busy work while you are dealing with the more conceptual formulaic stuff but mm-hmm. yeah i guess like what we've what we've been discussing this whole time what the main thesis of this yeah. uh this show is is that not everybody fits that bill not, not everybody's going to going to going to work in that specific one direct way so there's going to be a lot of people that get left behind in that way and yeah. a lot of people that end up growing up forgetting long division yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah well i think that's actually a lot of what i wanted to cover is there anything else that uh you had in uh in your mind about technology and ed no i mean you know there there will always be things on my mind mm-hmm. but we can save <laughs> more topics for more episodes yeah absolutely yeah and uh we've we've been sort of talking around it so that's why i didn't fully bring it up but uh there is a article that i'm going to recommend in our uh, show notes 
It is titled uh, Effective Implementation. <laughs> Implementation. <laughs> it is called Effective Implementation of Technology by Gene Cano. Uh, Cano. By Gene Cano, I believe. Uh, it's from uh, Fisher Digital Publications. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll put a link to it. Uh, some information about it and um you can feel free to check it out there's some pretty good guides in there about um the, basically around what we were talking about about technology and how to find it and uh how to implement it properly so that it is something that is not going to disengage people but instead be really powerful and useful in a lot of ways so that's uh something that uh i wanted to give a shout out to as well as uh, letting everybody know that this is going to be a serialized podcast. We're going to be keeping, continuing putting out episodes of this. So um, uh, we already put out one episode already on motivation. Uh, so feel free to go back and listen to that. They're all going to be pretty useful. And I think we're probably going to be talking back to that one specifically for a while because everything kind of centers around it. Um but yeah, I think that is about it. So, um, yeah. What did we settle on as a catchphrase last time? Well, I think we ended on thank you all for listening and let's continue to talk about school. That's right. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>